Welcome to Behind the Axle. This is a podcast that will take a look at what is going on in the world of wheelchair rugby. We will take a look at the topics and issues that are of concern to the players, coaches, staffs, referees, and classifiers of our league from coast to coast. We hope that you will join me, Mike Klinowski, Dave Mengen, and Hall of Famer Chris Cook as we discuss what is going on in our great sport today. Welcome to Behind the Axle. My name is Dave Mengen. I'm joined by Mike Klinowski. And Chris Cook, as usual. Hey, hey. And our special guest tonight is Sarah Adam. Sarah, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, so you are fresh off of uh, World Championships. Uh, USA came home with a silver medal. Great game at the end there against Australia. It was, uh, super fun to watch. Um, I actually was lucky enough to be there. How was that experience for you, your first World Championship? That was wild. I mean, obviously, yeah, that, that Australia game, um, certainly competitive and, and a great game. Didn't come out the way that we wanted to, um, being on top. But the whole experience being in Denmark with it being my first, you know, world championship as well as my probably the biggest international uh, tournament that I've been a part of was just something else. Um, there's a lot of energy around there. Uh, we had Team USA came in with cameras, and they were kind of filming a documentary there as well that I, I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, <laughs> suddenly there were cameras following us. Um, but So that was really neat uh, to be a part of that and, and kind of have that platform. But it's nice to get that one under my belt. I'm hungry for the next one, hungry for the next competition, to be honest. Is there a game or, a, or an experience kind of that stands out throughout that week? Other other than that uh, Australia game? It's funny because yeah, obviously there's film and I've been watching a ton of it and looking back and it's all such a blur. I don't remember like half of it. Um, the biggest one that stands out for me, for me personally, was Great Britain. Um, obviously coming out of there is the woman of the match. Uh, it's probably the one that I had the most minutes of. Just felt like I was getting in a groove with my line uh, and, and my teammates out there and things just started clicking and uh, a lot of fun once you start really playing rugby the way that rugby's meant to play to be played, and that's how yeah. I felt in that GB game. Just settled in and knew in, in playing my role. Well, and and I actually had the opportunity to commentate and be part of that decision uh, for you to be the player of the match. Uh, I really think it was a great game for you, and uh, I I don't know. I I think you your best rugby is still yet to come. So that's that's really nice to see. Yeah, I cer- certainly hope so. There's just so much learning going on for the whole team, truly, um, even some of our veterans. But for me, being the absolute rookie on the team, only having – I got class in, in December of 2019, so I've been around very long uh, and a lot of learning going on and excited to see what I can do as I continue to build up experiences in, in Worlds was a phenomenal experience to start with in my rookie season. So I have a question, Sarah. What is your line on that team? Are you um, are you guys practicing those lines? Like, are you? Is it diversity, and you're in lots of lines, or one specific line? Can you tell us about who you're playing with, etc.? Yeah, I think we're still kind of figuring out where the chemistry lies right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times it was the Corey, myself, Adam Scaturo, and JJ Jackson. 
uh, was what probably the line I was in the most, but we also ran a 252521 with myself, Jake Daly, Chuck Melton, and JJ. Uh, so we're just seeing kind of what works out there, what doesn't work um, in, in some instances or against certain other lineups, whether it's a high-low or um, we saw a really with, lineup. with you and Liz at the same time. Yeah, I think that one was uh, <clears throat> just Joe maybe being a little cheeky out there. I don't know, or getting the women out on the court. It was fun. I mean, <laughs> you really, you get to run nine points, right? And, mm-hmm. and at this tournament, you know, you have this historic 14 female athletes at World Championships. I mean, that's a... It's a milestone. It's you know, it's a shame that it took this long for something like that to happen. But it's great to see that there are opportunities for female athletes at that level uh, so significantly. Did you yeah, get involved? I, Were you in the picture that they did of, of all the female athletes? At I the was. So Kylie had grabbed me during the banquet. She's like, can you run and grab all the, help me grab all the females for this picture? And, and by the time we had all this together, that was when it really kind of hit me how many females there were. And obviously yeah. we knew I, I mm. I don't know that I've really realized the weight of it yet of just how different that is compared to what it has been in the past. Um, Kylie has a little bit more time in the sport at that level to really see those changes happening and hearing her side of that story on that Kylie Grimes from, from Great Britain and hearing her viewpoint on the change in the international league and and females coming into the sport and what that means. It it was even more impactful hearing it from somebody that's been around for a while. Beijing was the first, so it wasn't that long ago. Right. So if I can give a little, because I always do this, I'm the old guy. If I give a little historical perspective. So Luz Ayala from Southern California was a 3.0 way before they, you know, gave a half half point. Yeah. Yeah. So this is 1993. And she was the first alternate on Team USA. And I was on that team and she was for better words, a beast. She was amazing. And I was really disappointed she didn't make it. She made the first alternate. But the bottom line is, you know, here we are going 30 years later. You know, it's 2023. And we're seeing all of this happening now. And I think it's fantastic. And congratulations, Sarah, and everyone else that's, you know, taken a part in this. But the bottom line is, um, there have been, you know, few and far between really, really dominant females on the on the court. And um, I, I just say about time. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great to see. And I, I, I appreciate you saying that. It, for me, it's been interesting because there's a lot of females that are low pointers, but not a lot of high point females out there. Uh, so being able to fill that role, it, it's, I, don't, I don't want to say pressure, but it's certainly uh, meaningful to me to show that we can take every role on that court and we will, you know, we got, we got to work and we got to earn it, but we will. And, and what is your role? Are you, do you consider yourself a one, a two? Uh, what, what, what do you fit in? What do you think? So I'm classified as a 3.0 and we have the, obviously the additional 0.5 when I'm on the court, uh, which puts me as a, as a ball handler, either the one or two, often it's kind of interchangeable depending on the lineup that I'm in. Um, and, you know, the way that USA style works, any, all the, the, you know, mid-pointers to high-pointers can take on that traditional one role. That's what makes us so diverse. That's what makes us a threat. So, yeah, often taking that one that one role. So do you say to the low-pointers, get over here and pick for me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. Or if you can't do that, then you don't have – Yes. you don't deserve a role on that court. 
you need to be able to have the confidence to take control and be a general and and say what you need out there. And, and that's what our culture, you know, to, to Joe Delagrave and to Mike Klanowski's credit in Team USA has, has been. Everybody gets a voice. You're on this team for a reason. You're on that court for a reason. You need every single one of us needs to have a voice on that court and take over. And I, I think that's something that really showed up in that GB game. I mean, that was when I think all the pieces came together. Everything that you'd been working on all year, you know, starting with competition in um, Colombia. I mean, obviously, before that, you, you were building up to it. But there's such a dramatic difference as to what kind of an athlete uh, you've emerged as um, and developed as over over an entire year. Um, I'd like to do a small pivot and I I really want, if, if you're okay with this, uh, sharing how you got involved with rugby and are, are you okay talking about that and yeah, how you got yeah, started? No topics are off, off limits. I'm an open book. Uh, anything, I, any part of my story that I can share that might touch somebody or, or retouch somebody, I'm, I'm happy to, to do that. Cause I know there's been, don't touch anybody. Me. That's not okay. <laughs> Thanks. <Kate. laughs> uh, I think there's been plenty of people before me that in them being vulnerable and, and sharing their story has given me, you know, the, the um, courage or comfort to, to do the same and, and step up into to what I'm doing now. So for awesome. me, my introduction was certainly an interesting one, um, or I think it is rather, that I was an able body when I introduced the sport. I was down in St. Louis at WashU in occupational therapy school getting my clinical doctorate. And uh, a part of our curriculum was to do community volunteer, and I've always been an athlete. Um, I played softball, played softball in college, switched kind of to coaching once I threw my shoulder out. Uh, and I wanted, once I got down to St. Louis, to get back into sports in some way or another. And, you know, I thought, okay, like, let's get into adaptive sports. I've never really seen it before. I don't know much about it. And we had a, our, our local wheelchair rugby team in St. Louis had practice. And so I reached out to Carrie Morgan, who was my professor at the time, and she said, come on over and we're always needing volunteers and people to get into the sport. And so my first, gosh, I guess three, two and a half years was me being able to like no idea about the multiple sclerosis, anything like that. Um, I got my MS diagnosis halfway through grad school. So I was just an able body volunteer. I thought I was going to do coaching within ideally doing some form of coaching for rugby, uh, not necessarily at the team USA level, maybe just at the club level. And then things took a turn, and by 2019, I was suddenly getting classed in. I thought, even when I had my MS diagnosis, I was still very able-bodied. The goal was never to really play rugby, um, but life is weird sometimes, I guess. It is weird, right? You have you have all all the time. You have people show up, maybe they're paras or their ABs, and they're like, "God, I wish I could play this game," but you also know. It's not worth being a quad to play the game, yeah. right? I wouldn't go out and break my neck so I could get the parking and play rugby, but it certainly <laughs> is a, a great thing to have when that's your situation, right? Yeah, certainly. If I could, I would have kept going down the coaching route, uh, still been a, a clinician as an OT and just been involved from the coaching aspect of things. But, um, you know. I'd... Maybe when your playing days are done, you'll uh, Maybe. put on the coaching head. Yeah, we'll see. There's still plenty of time, though. You've got, uh, I think you've got a good career ahead of you. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, for now, 
riding out that player role for as, as long as I can. And my, you know, with the multiple sclerosis, you never know with the relapses when those are going to come and change of function. It, it's a little bit uh, morbid, but our team kind of jokes that at some point I'm going to be a 0.5. I'm just going to run the whole gamut from a 3.5 down to a 0.5. Uh, that actually has been done before. At one time, I know it? at least. Yes. But that's a whole other story. We won't get into it. <laughs> Fair uh, so, by the way, Sarah, I did break my neck playing rugby just so I could, you know, advance my sports career. I, I got another 30 years it. out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, I think, um, so with MS, if you don't mind talking about this, sure. um, things can change, right, pretty rapidly or, or over time. Can you talk about that? Sure, it's, it's a weird one. So I'm relapsing and remitting. So there's times um, where sometimes my body, I lose function or things go a little haywire because of things that aren't truly the MS. They call them pseudo relapses. It's either because I'm sick or UTI or hot or stressed or all sorts of things uh, that can lead to a temporary decrease in function that's not necessarily like a new lesion in my brain or my spinal cord. Uh, and then there's times where it is due to a change. There's a new lesion, new scarring uh, where my body's attacking itself. And those can be permanent um, or they can be like I had a cervical uh, lesion at one point. I got on high dose, high dose steroids in the hospital and it cleared up most of it and left very minimal scarring and gained a lot of function back. So it's it's weird knowing that I could wake up tomorrow um, and not and lose a ton of function um, compared to what I have today. But somehow you find a way, and I, I credit a lot of my athletic mentality to this and my, my upbringings, you know, as far as the competitiveness and athleticism and all that, to just putting that aside and still getting to work despite that. Kind of always looming over you. So on a follow-up real quick, um, clearly you're well-educated and very intelligent. How does that, in your opinion, help you on the court? You might be going a little too far on the, the very intelligent <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> oh, no. You're very modest. I, I, can, I can hear it and see it. Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to say, first off, I have always said, who better than an occupational therapist to have to manage this condition? Like, at least I have the tools and the knowledge and the know-how and, you know, wonderful family support and all these resources and being surrounded by the disability community from the beginning uh, and I think that has changed the trajectory of how I have handled my MS in ways that have been so helpful. You know, people ask, because I can walk. Um, it's not the prettiest looking gait that you've ever seen. Um, I avoid physical therapists like the plane. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> uh, um, but for me, like walking, it, it just takes so much out of me. Uh, endurance wise, it takes so long. I don't necessarily like how I look when I walk. Uh, that that I transitioned to using a, a wheelchair, um, and I use that. And I don't use it when I'm in the apartment very much, but if I once I go out in the community, I use my chair. Uh, that started when I was actually in Houston at a rugby tournament, and all of my my uh, teammates were like a football field and a half ahead of me in Houston in that big convention center because I couldn't keep up. And even by the time that I got to the restaurant to to join them, I'm exhausted. I'm like, this is stupid. But had I, I really truly think, had I gone to a different OT school and not been exposed to adaptive sport in the disability community, I would still be busting my ass and working to walk because that's what's quote unquote normal. Um, and I think my life might be a little worse for it. You know, my chair is my freedom. I 
certainly am so thankful that for now I can, in times that I want to get up and out of it and walk, or if there's an environmental barrier or whatnot, I, I still do that. And I do it without, you know, any type of shame or, or you know, thought. But for me, the, the chair helps me in my day-to-day life. It has made it so, so, so much easier. So I think to the credit of being surrounded by the disability community where that's been normalized um, and accepted, it's been very helpful. And then my background is to bring it back uh, to what you were talking about, Chris, my background in, in OT has helped me in, in being able to manage this condition that's very helpful. I took your question in an entirely different direction, so I apologize. No, no worries. No, uh, we tangent all the time. <laughs> what What is your sports background prior to wheelchair rugby? Oh, gosh, all sorts of sports growing up through high school, and that's where I uh, dwindled down to softball. I, I realize now, because I was actually, I was a, they think, a pediatric case of MS. So I, when I was nine years old, got hit uh, in the mouth by a baseball and knocked out my front teeth. They put the teeth back in, and I ended up with an infection in my jaw, uh, osteomyelitis that was left untreated. And when jaw infections end up untreated, it can leave a cyst in your brain, which then caused my body to overact, is, is their theory. That'll never necessarily be be proven but um you know I started playing I had played softball it's probably the one I was best at um had a pretty solid arm I love the chess master softball kind of had the brains for it um but I also think part of it was that softball didn't involve a lot of running because that kind of came into play in college you know I dropped basketball basketball was just getting too exhausting all the running involved with that soccer was too much running (laughs) And then in college, I switched even from softball to playing golf. And at the time, I had no idea that maybe part of that was because of the MS going on. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I just really hate running. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you weren't Forrest Gump. You weren't running. Yeah. All the time. I, which is funny because now I'll get into my rugby chair and I'll go push, you know, 10, 12, 13 miles. I love it. I love the mental game of pushing through. You know, someone with, with, they always say MS, rest and fatigue, and you shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. And I love pushing past that and kind of a, an F you to MS. I don't know if I want to say that, but. <laughs> yes, you are. You can say that. Yeah. Okay. We're not a family show. <laughs> so I love, yeah, I love getting in my chair now and going for those long pushes. But when I was growing up, I didn't enjoy that. So I played, I played softball um, through college. Um, just went to a D3 school at Augustana College, small little liberal arts Played for a year, threw my shoulder out and switched to coaching. So I was a high school softball coach starting uh, my sophomore year of undergraduate. So I was only 20 years old and coaching a team that ended up going to state twice while I was there, which was really cool experience. That's really cool. What was more difficult, playing or coaching? Oh, gosh. Coaching high school softball girl, uh, high school uh, girls is definitely more difficult. There, There's a lot that goes into managing all the emotions and I have a theory on that. As you guys know, I'm a teacher. When you um, step out there as a coach and you have to manage all the personalities, all the strategy, all of, you know, everything. You, first of all, you don't get the burn every day from from the playing. So I would be up all night thinking about things we could do better. I was like, oh, my God, this is so much work. Yeah. <laughs> Play ball. You know, a lot of like, you, know, film you can't and, affect the outcome by being on the court or being on the field. All right. you can do is try and help other people get to the point where they right. can do that. Right. So, so try to get the most out of everybody. A little yeah. handcuffing. 
But I like that. I actually found that I kind of thrive sure. on it. Like, what can I do? How can I build up their tools that they can use once they're on the field? And it's kind of up to them. And, and thankfully, softball is one that has a whole bunch of stoppage during play. Uh, God bless the rugby coaches who they it's just go, go, go. And things kind of can spiral out of control. And there's really nothing you can do about it in the moment. <laughs> you don't really trust your right. players to know what they're doing because you're MR. It's just so hard to communicate even to your players in a moment because it's just so loud. Yeah, with the love, music and the yeah. crowd. Yep. Yeah. I love coaching, though. There's there's nothing quite like it. I love the, the strategizing and watching film and working as a unit of coaches. Um, you know, I was thankful. Where I was coaching was Moline High School, and they're run essentially for all kinds of purposes, like the program. Um, so it's kind of thrown in the fire of a, just a really well-rounded program and learning from some excellent coaches. And I, lo- I loved it. There's nothing quite like it. So you're playing in St. Louis now. And back to rugby. Yeah, and uh, how 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 do you feel about your team this year? I know you've got uh, you've got a pretty good squad. Um, yeah, I think we're going to play you in Tampa next weekend. Uh, yeah. this, I hate to date this <laughs> podcast, but uh, we'll see you guys down in in uh, Tampa. Yeah, Tampa should be interesting. So we've got obviously with the Eric Newby and Jake Daly and myself being three Team USA players uh, really helps all of us being on the same page and speaking the kind of the same lingo. And, and we've been, you know, thankfully we have Kerry Morgan, who's a phenomenal athlete, and Kylan Tampa is mm-hmm. the other uh, one that kind of changes in and out with Kerry and right. getting them up to speed because rugby is a game where everybody needs to be on the same page. But uh, it's been nice. It's been great to, to build the chemistry with myself, Jake, and Newby, because um, previously they are out in Colorado, so having them back home and being able to train with them, you know, we practice twice a week is, is invaluable, not only for the St. Louis team, but also thinking about the USA level. So you've you got to keep Newby in check? <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I need to keep all of the, the three stooges in check, including, you know, Mel, when I'm traveling, I got traveling out to, to Denmark, I was with Newby, Jake, Newbie, and Melton. I was like, good Lord, somebody help me. <laughs> hey, Eric, are you listening? I hope you are now. <laughs> okay, for that one, that's all right, though. Like you, you said earlier that you like being the general on the floor. Are you the general on the floor with, uh, with Jake and Newbie and Carrie? Or where is your role there? How I'm do you describe yourself? I'm working on it. So uh, certainly somebody's talking the whole time. I and mean, that, that's something that I know is just so important. And, and there's times where it's kind of falls off the radar, but I think honestly, newbies probably a little bit more than general right now, but I'm working on saying like, I'm, my voice is just as important and, and to be hearing out there and Jake the same way. We have this chemistry too. It's just really nice where we can hold each other accountable and it's really quick. Like letting somebody know when they weren't where they needed to be or doing what they needed to do. It's quick. It's emotionless. We move on. Um, and that's been really fun to see and develop amongst the three of us. That's elevated all of our game. Well, with Carrie on the floor, there there are four of you that can handle that ball. So Absolutely. that's it's got to be a really interesting dynamic. I'm looking forward to seeing it on the court. Yeah, Carrie, Carrie's really short, which is probably about the only reason we try not to give her the ball too much. <laughs> well, I've been playing against Carrie for a very long time. She's shifty. It's the hair. The hair goes one way and Carrie goes the other. She, uh, eats, she eats me up all the time. Like, <laughs> get in that low point chair and I'm done. And yeah, that's fine. She's I, in I a, a low point chair, but not until March. So we're really looking forward to her having that low point chair. It'll make a big difference. But she's absolutely so wait, out there. So wait a minute, Sarah. Is that why you have short hair? So you're going the same way as your hair? Yeah. Well, it's always pulled back in a ponytail. So I guess the ponytail goes one way, and then I go the other. I don't. I haven't quite 
picked up that skill and carried it. <laughs> well, you may want to consider letting it out because uh, I know that Garrett Hickling, guys like that, when their hair is long yeah. enough that it moves, every photo looks like he is in high speed motion because <laughs> his hair is always it, at some angle yeah. and it, it makes for great photographs. I'll leave that to Jake Daly. Jake Daly's got the hair game on the team right now. He so. does have the best hair. We'll let him ride that one out for a little while. It's much better than that man bun he used to wear. <laughs> so wait a minute, Dave, is that why you look slow? <laughs> no, that is not why I look slow. But sure, yeah, that's exactly why. So what's the ultimate goal this season? Are you guys like trying to end up, you know, top of the pack in D1, middle of the pack? Are you looking at D2? What's... Uh, is this a moving target here? Yeah, I think I, the goal is just to build the chemistry uh, between with the team because we haven't really played together, certainly not the club ball level for a long time. Um, I don't think we really care one way or another. I, what If we end up deep, well, we're right on that bubble along with KC. I think we're just going to keep kind of going back and forth with, with the Kansas City team and, and maybe Wassa on who ends up in the D1 versus the D2 bracket there. So. There's always that bubble, right? It doesn't yeah. matter whether it's six or eight teams. We're going to still have a team that's yeah. that could easily have gone the other one way or the other. Yeah. Who, who came to your tournament uh, that would be in the tournament. top six? Did. Yeah, that we had a great good. tournament. We had a Casey, Lakeshore, Wassa, ourselves, and Oscar Mike. And oh, nice. there's a lot of great matchups there. You know, Kansas City, whenever we play them, it is a really evenly matched, great, great, great game to watch. Um and then Wasa, same thing. So, their little guy Talon, uh, he's come a long way. Yeah, he's not little anymore. No, I don't know the last time I seen him, but have you seen his hand? Good lord, he just kind of sucks the ball out of the air. <laughs> oh my! No, I haven't seen him this season yet. It's fun. So I remember even being, you know, back to maybe 2014 or so, and I still volunteer, and he was using Kerry Morgan's chair out in Kansas City, and brand brand new and super super tiny and young, and yeah. to see him now. His voice changing and all that, but he's still young, but uh, yeah. he's got a long career ahead of him if he wants. He's gonna be a phenomenal player, absolutely phenomenal. But in the meantime, it's fun being out there and competing against him in the club ball level. Um, well, I'm sure Tony is uh, doing a good job of of getting his game up, you know. Mm. Yeah, all of them. And Brad Hudspeth with them as well. Yeah. He's, you know, Talon and Brad are on the USA development team and learning a lot through that. I mean, you can see even, so we played Kansas City in October after Denmark and then played them again in our tournament in December. And the changes that Talon had after the development camp was incredible to see. Just so much more maturity and, you know, comfort in handling the ball and things like that. So The film that I've seen, that his confidence yeah. Has made a huge difference in his game. I yeah. think. Which is incredible. Is a is he fifteen or sixteen? I'm, I'm told this I, all I want to say sixteen. I <laughs> does, I wait, wait. Does it matter? Yeah, yeah. Either, exactly way, good point, Chris. I mean, either way, incredible. I know I didn't I mean, have that kind of maturity when I was can, can, can he drive on his own or does he have drivers, you know, on the passenger seat? One of his parents that usually travels with him, but <laughs> Does that so mean he gets a, a half a point? He does in the club ball level, but not okay, in Okay, so then he's 15, because at 16, you lose that. Okay. I thought it was 16 and under. That's embarrassing that I don't know this. Oh, I didn't know they included 16. Yeah. I don't know. I was 
I don't it's not think like it was commissioner for eight years or something. Yeah, that was your that was your job, man, not mine. I just wrote <laughs> so down the notes. Have you youngsters heard of a guy That's named Cliffy all. Chun? Oh yeah, heard, I got I got a Cliffy Chun Jr. on my team. Okay, so Cliffy started playing at thirteen, uh, and right away it was like, where did this kid come from? He's freaking amazing, and he was you know a two. Bottom line, he's at a full trunk, but he could guard anybody on one on one, guard anybody. And at that point, I went, "Okay, age doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This kid's amazing." But anyway, not at that end of the spectrum, but at our end of the spectrum, it's a little different. Yeah, truth. So I have a question for you, sir. Um, I hate to get stereotypical, but here we go. Um, Playing as someone who you know, is a female. How did you get treated in terms of moving your way up into the elite and playing as a USA national player? Was there anything you care to share? I mean, everybody treated you well, or was there anything you want to share on the other side of that? Yeah, I'll start. So at the club ball level, I'll start there. It was funny. The first time that I came in to play was at at, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana and nobody had really known me yet, but I had been around rugby for a while, so I kind of knew what I was doing. So nobody was guarding me. Uh, and then all of a sudden they realized who I, you know, that I was actually fairly good. And all of a sudden it was like, find the girl, where's the girl? Nobody knew my name, so it's just the girl um, for a very, very long time. I'm hoping that's changed by now, that it's not just the girl. Uh, but once I got into the USA level, uh, I, the only person that I, I, I think – People were taking it a little bit easier, except for Corey. Right, Budaba was hitting me pretty hard from the beginning, which I appreciate. I'd rather have. I, there's, you know, I'm guessing Bat and Bond and, and some of those other big hitters are not going to take it easy on me. So I'd rather these guys um, hit me at full force, and they do now. That that didn't last very long once they realized that I can handle it. I'm not weak. I did, you know, I want to be treated just as another athlete on that team. You know, the fact that I'm a female. Doesn't I hope I show does not make that much of a difference on the court. That's my goal at every any any time. Um, you, you know they can yell at me, they can correct me, they can hold me accountable, whatever. I'm not. I can handle it as an athlete. Any um, discrimination or any you know stuff that we we hate to hear, but you know I'm I'm just curious. I I see it all the time as a teacher and. You know, young ladies are doing their deal out there on the basketball court or what have you, and boys are, you know, yeah. being jerks to them. And it, it's I've heard I it on the rugby court too. Yeah, yeah, honestly, I, there, I'm sure there is some of that going on behind the scenes. It, it, I, I hope not with my teammates. I've never experienced that with my teammates. I, I grew up with brothers. Like, I am just a person who has always fit in better with guys than girls. Um, so... Uh, but I'm sure some of that goes on in the background of like, is she on the spot? Does she, did she get a spot because she's a female? Um, but I think the whole team's mentality and, and Joe's mentality, Mike's mentality has been, you need to be able to perform at your classification. So I need to be able to perform as a 3.0 and, and hang with the other 3.0s. And then it's just a bonus that the team gets a 0.5 edition. And I appreciate that viewpoint. It, it holds me accountable 
to anybody else's standards as it should be. Uh, but certainly, you know, when we're talking and we're in the dining room or we're getting ready, there's, you know, the guys, I, they're just themselves around me. And I appreciate that. I don't want anybody to feel like they have to tiptoe or be different because I'm a, a female. So, but, but you're getting dressed in a different locker room. Yeah. Yeah, we do draw that one. <laughs> So you, you mentioned Joe, Joe Delagrave. Um, we have a new, you know, a new admin, a new era of coaching. And can you talk about Joe? I mean, I, I, I'm a friend of Joe's and I admire him and I played against him and I coached against him. And I just wanted an insider's perspective. What, 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 what can you tell us? I guess this, this is what the place where I got to be careful, right? And got to be political. Huh? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Before time. Yeah. Yeah. Put me in a weird position here, Chris. Mike can edit anything. So go <laughs> no, I got nothing to hide. Uh, he's been phenomenal. Truly, you know, he, he, there's just a different feel of, of learning um, and a lot of different things being put in place that is leading that learning and learning that high level and strategic, smart rugby. Uh, I can't speak to what was happening before. I really was around the last team. Um, he's fit in really well. We all really respect the hell out of him. And it, there's never any question. What, what Joe says is the plan is what everybody's following. And I think that's a sign of a, of a great leader out there. We're all, you know, from the beginning, he said he was a little uncomfortable even, I think, with the using the word coach. Uh, he's like, that's something that you earn is being called coach. And I think from the get-go, you saw people that were willing to run through a brick wall for him and work their asses off and work for this team. And to me, that was the sign of, of a coach. So I pretty quickly started calling him coach. Good stuff. So as you were like starting off playing, playing rugby, uh, wheelchair rugby, you had a few really good mentors in St. Louis and uh, would you be able to tell us more about those individuals and the process and how it gave you a start? Yeah, I, I know for sure I would not be where I'm at as quickly as I got to it uh, without the mentors from St. Louis. Um, whether, you know, Sue Tucker, who was a previous assistant coach for Team USA, Carrie Morgan, who's, you know, I, a female in the sport and has been playing for a while. She's also a Paralympic track athlete. She was working full time, getting her PhD and training for the Paralympics and, and learning from her on how do I manage that work full time as an occupational therapy professor and, and trying to manage my time with working full time and training and being an elite athlete, um, as well as the guys that have been on this squad teaching me what does it take to be ready for this level? Um, and, you know, I, a lot of, Going into the tryouts last year, last December, I know I didn't have a lot of experience and there was a lot that I was going to need to learn, but at least I could go in understanding what it took physically, where you needed to be physically to be able to compete. Uh, so I came in there and I remember the, the mile that they do it, that we call it the track meet, where it's a bunch of, you know, you do the mile, you do a couple different sprint tests um, to see where your physical abilities are, your stamina or whatnot. And then all the guys put me at the big, at the front of the line for the mile. And I swear, to, I don't remember, I think my time was like a 613 or something like that, out of pure fear. <laughs> like, you're at the front of the line. I, I remember looking back and going, what the hell am I doing at the front? They put the rookie at the front. This must be some hazing or something. Um, but I held my own. And I think that was largely due to 
some of the support that I had from the St. Louis folks to tell me how you know to take the, the training seriously and how much training it took and continuing to say like this is what you need to put into it. Um, this is how often you need to lift and this is how often you need to be in, in your chair and watching film and these are some of the lists that you can I, you know it was never really a gym rat um, so even like figuring out the weight room stuff they've I can always reach out to Chuck Melton obviously as everybody knows he's looking really cut lately so he's <laughs> busy with all of his CrossFit training and knowledge so reach out to him and, and all of them so I could probably go on for hours of what they've done to help me get to where I'm at right now. Truth, truthfully. That's awesome. So back up six thirteen mile. Yeah. So nice. I almost got my goal is, was under six at this last. When was that? My August camp, maybe. Mm. Uh, I don't know. So six oh four was my last one. My goal was getting under six, but I was throwing up that morning, so I'm giving myself a little bit of a break. On that one, but that's that's the goal is to get under six. That's awesome. So so endurance wise, could you match that and do what a twelve twenty six two miles, or would it be a big drop off? Mm, so I this is sound so bad. I accidentally ended up doing like a half marathon not too long ago because I, I was just feeling good, so I just kind of kept pushing, um, and it was like six forty five was my my split time. That's great. Wow. But it's truly like, and that's like completely adverse to what you hear in MS and the, the fatigue, but I just, it's like a mental game for me. Now walking, well, it, I, I can't walk, you know, a hundred yards without being exhausted. But for some reason, like pushing, I can just keep going. I mean, even if my arms feel like jello, I kind of look a little bit more like a one five by the end of it. But I love that mental game. Of the well, I can't do it either. How about you, Dave? <laughs> my hands fall asleep. I can't. I can't push far. I no, I'm at walking. Sorry, I get myself across the floor. Fair enough. Yes, yeah. <laughs> me too. So let's shift That's gears awesome. a little bit. Let's talk about uh, current topics about what's going on in the league. Like, for example, um, the new playoff structure of six, six, and six. Yeah. Anybody, you guys have an opinion on that? Good, yeah, bad. Yeah, the devil. Obviously, six, we six, haven't six. done it yet. I, I think it's a great addition. I think it's a great change. Um, I think it'll make the games much more uh, competitive that there's not going to be, you know, a one going against an eight, um, a team that, you know, may or may not want that eight spot. They would rather be in the nine spot. Um, yeah. Now all six teams within each division have a shot at, right. at doing something. Um, that's the theory, right? That's yeah, the theory. We'll see what happens. I, I, I think, think it's a great D1, idea. That D1 still might be a little more weighted towards the top, you know, maybe three teams there. Uh, but D2 is going to be a lot. And D3 are going to be a lot of really exciting, more interesting games. I think the other game changer is going to be the, the national team players are a little bit more spread out this year from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not yeah. just the, the Denver Stacks team this year. Kind of there are four... Or two Tucson. very strong teams at the top of things, yeah. And the two behind them aren't shabby either. Right. The four behind them, frankly, I think that, uh, you know, there was a conversation there for who ends up in the in the top six. Who knows? Yeah. And you well, know what? I've been, I've been away for a year because of uh, health stuff. Who are the top six? What, what do you guys think? Is it accurate? 
Before we get, I want to correct myself. I say national and I think development level players being spread out makes a huge difference because, you know, even you look yeah. at the KC team that is Talon and Brad Unspit, then they gave us a good old run for our money in our last game. So they ended up beating us. So, yeah, I think that makes a big difference having all of that spread out and, and developing some play, you know, players throughout the league. I'm excited to see that change too. Yeah. You know, some internationals in some different places too, like Wassa. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, I think that adding, adding Travis to that team certainly makes that uh, even more interesting. Yep. Huge difference. Lots of teams that are looking quite different this year. It's exciting. Yeah. My team is very different. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> it went from being the one to being the being at the end of the bench. And when you think about the learning that can happen and having an Aoki there at your practices or, you know, or not. The learning for the different players in that area is, is amazing. Yeah, uh, practices are way more interesting and competitive. Right. Um, you know, Chuck has a work ethic that is hard to top. Um, Matt's the same way. And Eric has been busting his butt to make sure he is not the weak link, you know. Right. And then we got Hollywood in the in the low. So it's a, it's interesting. You know, the looking at the, the teams that we've played so far, you know, every one of those games has been right down the wire, every single one of them. And I think that's great. You know, there's a lot of times where you come to a tournament and some of these games you kind of pretty much know they're decided before you even go into them. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to not know what the outcome is going to be and that, you know, one mistake can turn it all around for any one team. Yeah. I like the, to watch. The, yeah, the Detroit, U of A, Texas – WWAR, like those are going to be some exciting games to watch. A couple of them we'll get to watch here next week in Tampa. So yeah. I think all four of those teams are in Tampa. Yeah. If you had to pick today who you want to see in the national championship, D1, who would you want to see? I think U of A Detroit. I'm staying out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know who I want. Uh, you know what? The top. Who do you want to play against? Like, so maybe got Detroit in there. Who are you playing against? I don't know. You know, we've played U of A twice, and they were both really close games. We played Tampa once. We played Texas once. You know, uh, we came back from a deficit on both those teams, and you know, they, again, could have gone either way. Um, you know, we won the day both times. Uh, Tampa, Tampa's going to be different because we went into those tournaments. Firstly, obviously we went into uh, Vegas with people respecting Chuck. Um, but I don't think anybody expected us to, to run the table. And then at our tournaments, obviously, you know, people were a little more aware of the possibilities, but they weren't sure if it was a fluke. And now, now I think uh, there's a target on us because we got put at the top of the rankings and so far, in the U.S. were undefeated, um, but none of those teams, none of those top four teams has played their best rugby yet. You know, you got teams that are, U of A, they went and added a, a great player, but they've been playing together for a while. Um, but when you look at the teams like, uh, you know, you add guys like Robinson to uh, War, I mean, they got to get used to him. He's a great player, but they got to get used to him. Um, for us here in Detroit, None of these four has played together, um, so it's so it's interesting to watch that too. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Tampa's going to tell me a lot as far as, uh, and it might develop a rivalry to where I'm going to want to play against somebody in, in that final game if we make it sure. um, based on that. So I'm not ready to pick an opponent if, you know, assuming we even get that far. We got to win those games, right? Yeah. So that's I not an answer ever. At this point. <laughs> they don't play the games on paper. If they did, it would be a totally different thing. Right? I mean, you, you look at games that happened in Denmark. Nobody would have Denmark to to do what they did. No nah. way. Everybody thought that their win in Tokyo was a fluke against Australia because they were missing a point five, and they came back and told everybody, "There's no way that's not the case." They were. That's they some were fun, yeah, some fun games to watch. Yeah, there there are six teams that are all in the conversation to win a gold medal. <clears throat> all of them. And you saw Great Britain in uh, Brazil. One goal, one try away from playing for a medal. And then they ended up fit, lost all their funding, and they came back and won the next Paralympics. So who knows what's going to happen? Who do you think is more dangerous in the long term when it comes to international competition? Do you think it's France? Do you think it's Denmark? Do you think... Who is it? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a tough call right now. You know, you look at the youth that's out there. That's where that's I think where your future comes from, right? Um, Bat's probably getting getting to the point where he's thinking about I don't know if I want to keep playing at this level because it, it's a it's a grind to keep yourself in the kind of shape you need to, to do one of these majors every two years and. And every other tournament, you don't want to walk away with a loss. Even if you're going there to run lines, you, you're playing to win, right, Sarah? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, like I look at, at that tournament down in Colombia, where the first time USA played Canada, they knew they were going to play again. So there was some, some positioning and line switching and things to just kind of feel out how, how things felt against each other. You don't want to lose that one. Absolutely. You're not going to lose, but you're also playing a chess match because you're, you need to win the next one. The next one's the one that matters. And that's what happened, right? You ended up winning that next one and, and winning the medal, the gold. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting player to watch is that new young kid on Japan. Can't remember the name off the top of my head, but. Oh, uh, oh, is that Hashimoto? Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. He's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. As many times as I said his name, you think I would remember. <laughs> well, I was counting on you there, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, if you can uh, share with us, um, what is the training, individual training regiment for USA now? And what's your training regimen? What, what is it you are doing every day, every week, every month, et cetera? And how is that different now from what it was in – July or August. Yeah, so right now I'm in more of like a heavy lifting bay. We're going to Japan in a couple weeks, um, which kind of throws a little bit of a wrench into it. But honestly, I'm not really training for Japan. I'm training um, for, you know, Parapans and, and some of the upcoming national tournaments. But so I'm in a heavy lifting phase now, which has been fun. It's been interesting because I'm just learning so much more about what I can do with my body and push my body lifting wise and, and even in the chair and whatnot. So, you know, I'm probably lifting. 
three, four days a week in my chair, three, four days a week. So it's pretty intensive, um, especially when you're juggling that with a full-time work schedule. And then I said the most exhausting part, I live alone. So then it's like, by the time I'm done working out, it's, you know, eight, eight thirty at night and I got to run to the grocery store and do laundry. And if I can get somebody to take care of all of that part of it, I think I'd be okay. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I'm learning to love to be in the weight room and be a gym rat and seeing, seeing the results certainly helps and be able to just know how my body responds to training, different types of training and kind of tuning that in the way that the veterans have had years and years to be figuring out. I kind of feel like I've got that, I got a, an accelerated um, learning from them pathway, hopefully. So you, you said you're doing, you know, lifting, et cetera. Can you give us like a percentages, like? What, how much time you spend on cardio, how much time you spend doing lots of reps or um, heavy lifting, you said. Can you kind of quantify that? Yeah, I, I mean, it just changes. Like, I, obviously, our bodies respond to not just doing the same thing over and over again, so you're kind of switching it up when you can. I'd say my lifting is somewhere between an hour to an hour and a half, depending on what type of lifting, I'm doing, whether I'm doing, like, a you know five-rep type of deal with the really heavy weights or taking it back on an easier, you know, lowering that down a little bit, going, you know, 12, 15 reps for stuff. Um, and then in my chair, usually I'm just about an hour in the chair right now. Um, a lot more kind of the endurance working on your push stroke type workouts. Now I, I've switched a little bit this last two weeks, week and a half, just anticipating Japan. I don't want to hurt myself. So I'm in the heavy lifting phase. You kind of get like your neural systems a little bit slower. You can feel that in the push. It kind of, it's a, a slower push. And then to turn around and try to ask my body to do that quick twitch kind of motions. Um, trying to be kind of mindful of that and finding a little bit of a medium there. So Got in a, on Sunday, was doing a, a more of a hit workout, sprinting, and doing like a 20 seconds on, 30 seconds off, eight minutes times four quarters type of something. And is that up to each player individually, or is that a directive from Coach Joe, or how does that work? Each player has our own kind of what we're doing. Uh, we have people that we can consult if we're needing some help to reach out for what can we do to dial things in and you know joe's checking on us to make sure that we're doing what we need to be doing and answering questions if we have them but everybody's training is just so different depending on their bodies their diagnosis how long they've been on the team you know, there's so many factors that to have a set everybody's doing the same thing is just a little difficult i've always told low pointers you guys need to get from point A to point B as quick as you can to get to your assignment. Um, endurance is important, of course, but you know, high pointers maybe or mid pointers is a little different. I don't know. Maybe things have changed, but um, just curious what 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 is the norm now? Yeah. What, what are they telling you? What's best? Yeah, we all have our different things that were, you know, I know my starts and stops are where I'm a little bit weaker. So I spend a lot more time on the court. They, thank God, I, you know, as a professor at St. Louis University, I have access to the rec center because it's, you know, 30 degrees out here in St. Louis. So I've got access to six basketball courts and a track. Thank goodness. Um, that allows me to go work on that start stop aspect of my game uh, versus yeah. some people are working on different and, you know, I'm only in there for a couple minutes at a time right now in my role, so I don't worry quite as much about the endurance. But thinking about my multiple sclerosis, I do. I like muscular endurance so that my body's not crapping out on me. There's just so many different things that you're thinking about when you're dialing right. in the training. 
whether it's what you're being asked to do on the court, what your function diagnosis is, where you're just strong suits versus not strong suits, what when's your next tournament, lots and lots of things to be considered. Do you worry about that? That your MS is gonna one you're gonna be it's gonna be a big game day and your body's just gonna say, No, not today, Sarah. Uh, if Joe's listening to the podcast, then no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's not listening. Go ahead. Speak your mind. No, I I, we've, we've, had that, we've had that discussion. I mean, I think yeah. everybody knows. It's a big risk to take somebody on this team that at any day my body can just crap out on me. And I either for that day or for the rest of the season. I mean, it's always yeah. a crapshoot. You don't know. So you might be spending all this time and putting in all this energy to developing me as an athlete. And you're not going to get to use me the way that you thought you were going to use me. Uh, and that's a gamble. Uh, and one that I very risk reward. I think it's a no brainer. Well, no brainer. You also Full have agree. the benefit of Team USA has enough depth right. that if that were to happen, there are, there are pieces that could be in place. Right? You've you've got you don't just have one three on the team. You have multiple right. threes. You have multiple two fives. You have multiple lines that can function. You can interchange people pretty well. And as we saw in uh, Denmark and other places, you know, there are a lot of pieces that can be interchanged and you can still compete at the top level. Yeah. For, uh, for me, so as far as, you know, that it does, it at least plays in my training. I'm very much a control what I can control. I can't control what my body's going to do, but I can make sure that I spend a lot of extra time being mindful of my training so that my body, you know, I, I had the best chance of my body responding the way that I want it to. And I'm still learning all the time, you know, for a while there, Particularly like July into August, I was, you know, a lot of my teammates were ramping up their training a lot. And so I, I was doing the same and realized like my body can't do that. It doesn't respond very well to that at a certain point. And so like as much as I want to train the same way as my teammates, like I need to adjust that for the MS and then I can actually end up performing better. So learning that aspect of my body, but also my nutrition and my sleep and everything else, I'm so, so, so mindful of it. So when I ask my body to do something, it's likely going to be able to, to, to do that. And then any athlete, especially elite athletes, are, are doing those types of things. But certainly something you know, I'm very, very mindful of. And it's helped me in my day-to-day -day life. I, my, I don't think I'd be as healthy, have as much energy, be able to do what I'm doing right now if I was not an elite athlete. You know, they say with MS, rest, you, you know, there's so much fatigue, don't do all this activity. I think my doctor still thinks I'm crazy, uh, my MS doctor, for for doing all this training um, and what it does to, to my body and my shoulders and whatnot. But I feel so, so much better when I'm out and active and moving and working out compared to if I'm not, I'm like so much pain, my body kind of tightens up, I'm way more tired, so... I can feel the difference, not just as impact on myself as an athlete, but my the impact of myself as just a person with a disability. And I think a lot of people would be able to attest to the same. I think hey, that doctors sorry. don't know everything. I was <laughs> going to say the the change the change in the world of rehabilitation over the last like twenty years has really focused more instead of getting stuck on the disability part. Um, really focusing on emphasizing what you can do well and magnifying that as much as possible. And part of that is instead of this whole mentality where, you know, you should be resting, you should uh, 
be doing this much therapy all the time that, you know, that you kind of don't get to live the life you want to live unless you decide that, Hey, that's really, really silly. I don't want to live this sheltered, you know, yeah, that there's, there's so much more that you're capable of and you're showing people right now a lot. I mean, when they see you out on the court they're reimagining the way they think of the diagnosis of MS. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I was never really big into the peer support aspect. Uh, everybody with MS that I had met at the time was just in a different place, more of a, a list, you know, what was me? I, they're listening to a lot of the recommendations of, of rest, recover, ask for help. You can't do that. Don't you're going to end up falling or whatever. And they were okay with being in that bubble. And I was not. And I think that's what pushed me away from the peer support. And I actually met someone for the first time. He came out to our practice, uh, our St. Louis practice back in December before the holiday break. And he was the first one that had that same kind of FMS mentality that I did. Like, you're not going to slow me down. I'm still going to do what I want to do. And he, it's funny. He's actually like the direct opposite to me. Most of my weaknesses on the right side, his is on the left. Uh, but we present very similarly. He walks a little bit better than I do, but he was walking. And he said, like, I can't, I has two daughters and he's having trouble keeping up with his daughters. And he was getting so tired and falling all the time and embarrassed that he was falling. Thankfully, I hadn't really hurt. Although he had a huge gash. He's like, yeah, thankfully I haven't hurt myself. I was like, you have a huge gash on your head there. <laughs> and the OT and he says otherwise. But uh, talking to him about why I use my chair, as, as I discussed earlier. And, and I think that was kind of clicking for him and understanding the chair can be my freedom. Um but I don't have to live this sheltered life. I talked to him about how exercise and being active makes a difference in my life. And it kind of opened me up to maybe I can reach out to some other people with MS in a similar circumstance and help them break outside of that bubble. I don't don't know that anyone wants to trust me. I I still don't know how they trust me to mentor these OT students, let alone (laughs) other people with MS. Well, but hearing after hearing that, I hear the I word coming. You're an inspiration, Sarah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but None of us want to hear that. that. Right? There are people when, out when there. People say that. I think it's such a cliche. But guess what? It, in many instances, and I'm hearing it right now with you, it's real. It's real. You're an inspiration. And I'm, you know, happy to know you. And, and, and I'm a big fan. This is amazing. Good work. I appreciate that. You know, I thought the whole, you know, a lot of the media attention that I was getting was because I was a female in a male dominated sport. And I, I was having trouble with that initially. I was like, I want to earn the media attention. I'm still a nobody. I've not earned my spot on this team. Um, I don't want this attention just because I'm a female. I want to be considered just as any other athlete. But when I'm thinking too about what can I do, like I have a platform that not a lot of people have. And if I can be that person that helps, there's another female that is thinking about getting into the sport or going through a similar experience. If I can be someone that they can reach out to and it just pushes them over that wall to just go do it. And I'm glad I have that platform to do that. Can I rephrase what, what Chris said instead of the I word? I think you're a model, and I think you're a catalyst. I think. Well, and you think about other, when people are told that this is all they can do, right? 
right? This you oh you you have IMS, uh, you have MS. This is the prison that you're in. And for someone like you to come out and talk about, well, I'm not going to live inside this, and I'm doing it successfully. That will inspire people. I think you can use the I word in that situation mm-hmm. without sure. without it being that patronizing, crushing. Sure. To, to me, it's just been like there's no, when you're in a league like ours, everybody has that something that bubble that story that they push through so it's like it's just not that unique other than i mean, i'm a female and there's not a lot of people with ms so that i guess that makes it a little bit different not in our sport for sure right so, so talk about that for a minute you guys maybe know better than me who else out there you know in rugby has ms and i i, I don't know do you guys know of anyone I met a gentleman out in Denver, which is the only D1 tournament that I've ever actually been to. I'm funny enough, uh, back in 2020, in January of 2020, but I, I, I apologize to whoever you are. I can't quite remember what team you played for or what your name was. So, yeah. so I want to ask you guys while oh. we're sitting here. Yeah. What do you think about the fact that the playoffs start February 15th and eight teams aren't going to play again until late April? Hey, How does that well, affect? What's up? There's a, a playoff semifinals when USA has tryouts. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's going to yeah. be a little bit Eastern, Eastern semifinals yeah. are the same weekend as tryouts. It's going to be a bit unfortunate for a couple teams there. Yep. So, in so closing, yeah. anything you want to say? We've taken up enough of your time. No, it's been great. I, anytime I can... You know, just kind of shoot the shit with people that are, that are you know, love rugby as much as I do. I'm always there, here for it. <laughs> and I just found out last week that I will get to watch you play in Santiago, so I'm super excited. Excellent, that's Great. awesome news. Are you doing the commentary for that one as yeah. well. Yeah, congrats, that's amazing. Thanks. Excited to hear it. And so, I'm Dave, you're taking my job again. What was that? You're <laughs> taking my job again. Your job. <laughs> okay, never mind. Dave's been marketing the hell out of himself for years. Behind the mic, I miss working with you. I miss working with you, Chris. Uh, But here we are behind the mic together. Yes, we are. Yes, we are, my friend. Yeah. Anything else, Mikey? Um, No, I think it's been been a great session together, folks. Thank you so much for your time. And looking um, forward to a great season yeah um, behind the axle with some new special guests we haven't uh, got them all lined up yet but uh keep listening people we appreciate you and uh have a great season 